At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither, but hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I'm your host, Ben Page, and this is your source for hunting, outdoors, and conservation conversations. In an eclectic and sometimes unorganized fashion, I appreciate you coming by. So today on the show, I've got my good friend, Scotty. Scotty, uh, I mean, actually... Can I even still call you Scotty? That's kind of like a childhood name, right? I don't care. You don't care? All right, good. Uh, so, Scotty, whatever we want to call him, uh, probably like probably the biggest jerk I know. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the things to consider uh, when you're calling calling the shots uh, out on the, some waterfowl coming in, and kind of building your decision making paradigm for when to you know call take them. And some of the questions that new guys might be considering uh, when preparing for a hunt. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Sorry for the sorry for calling you a jerk in the intro. I don't think you are, but that's okay. We'll move past it. Good. Oh man. So me and uh, me and Scotty grew up in Nebraska together, and you're relatively uh, relatively new hunter, right, Scott? That is correct. Definitely so for waterfowl. But uh, hunting in general, even that, yeah, yeah. What was your what was your first taste in waterfowl? <laughs> first taste in waterfowl. I mean, I have eaten both duck and goose, but uh, I was in. Well, that'll that'll become important later on as I get more into my experiences. But um, I was invited on a duck hunt. Was the first time I went on a waterfowl hunt, and uh, it was it was not. A, it was a great experience because I've learned to absolutely love the, the sport of waterfowl hunting um, and all of the elements I enjoyed of it, but it was a totally unsuccessful hunt. And uh, the guy that invited me, who I no longer, I wasn't good friends with him to begin with. He 
it's like uh, I know him through the guys that I am friends with. And he his organization was not the best. <laughs> it was just kind of very sloppily put together and relatively unsuccessful. But again, all the elements of waterfowl hunting that were there, you know, being on the water and early morning, being around good guys, all those elements were great. So I did enjoy that aspect of it. When was when was that hunt? That was three years ago. Three years ago. Uh, what, what What do you mean uh, he was like super unorganized? What do you mean by that? We we went to this place. It was on a, a fairly large reservoir in Nebraska, pretty close to me, one that I really like going to. And we were there. You know, we camped out in campers the night before. That was really nice. You know, so we had a fire. We all got there about 8 o'clock. There were generators on the campers. So even though it was mid-October and it was a pretty cold October, uh, we were nice and warm in these campers. So you would think with all these, like, we, you know, we camped out there the night before. We didn't have to get up super early. Um, we still got up at, I don't know, probably 5 sun, uh, sunset or shooting light was going to be like 6 a.m. And we didn't leave the boat ramp until like 6 o'clock. And I had been up, you know, a while ready to go. This was not my thing. You know, I wasn't in charge of anything. So I was not real thrilled with the amount of time it took to get uh, set up and going. <laughs> Uh, by these people that were supposedly the experienced duck hunters that were showing me the way on this duck hunting experience. Now, what other what other hunting had you done before that? I started out as a deer hunter. Um, I didn't have a very traditional um, sort of entry into hunting. It wasn't anything I did as a youngster with uh, my family or anything. My grandpa was a hunter, but he passed away when I was like 12 before he ever took me to do anything. My uncle was a hunter, but I didn't see him a lot. He was in Omaha, and plus he has kind of been out of the game, sort of, so to speak, pretty consistently since he was a younger guy. Uh, I talk with him quite a bit about things just because he has a lot of experience, but he really only goes once every three or four years now at this point. So he wasn't you know, going to be taking me along to anything. And so I just didn't really have that family upbringing of hunting. I always was interested in it because, you know, where I grew up, so many kids that we knew growing up were hunters and I always thought it was pretty cool. Um, but a friend of mine in college, he, uh, was talking to me about hunting. I had said I was interested and he was, uh, nice enough to take me along to his family ranch for a deer hunt. And I've been lucky enough that he's taken me every year since. So that was, that was my first kind of taste of hunting was deer hunting with him. I remember you sending me the text messages of, I think your first buck, huge, huge buck, right? Oh yeah, huge two by two, probably about ninety pounds. I mean, massive. Yeah, pretty pretty big Nebraska deer. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a little buck. Um, but it was just it was so fun. I mean, you've been deer hunting, you know what it's like, and especially when it's your first hunt of anything. It doesn't I I learned then that it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're twenty years old or twelve years old, you're still going to be really really amped about it. What's interesting about us growing up. So, you know, I had a lot of exposure to like upland waterfowl hunting with my dad and stuff when we were younger, but really when you and me kind of met and, you know, I uh, went junior high, I think. Yep. And then uh, high school, I mean, hunting for me at least was like non-existent during that time frame. I did a little bit of deer hunting out with Bubba and out at their place. Um, but uh, it wasn't until I got to college that I really like started picking, picking hunting back up and really getting, getting into it. Uh, and it's kind of funny that, you know, you're right. We grew up around all these guys that were 
they were out there with their dads and their brothers and their cousins. And uh, we just, we never got the, the bug until, I guess you'd call it like late onset waterfowl hunter. Um, and uh, I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty taken with it now. Right. What, did, what, did, what have, are... uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, with waterfowl, I love deer hunting. Um, it's a big passion of mine because I get the opportunity to go do it. And being somebody that doesn't have access to like my own spot to go deer hunt, you know, deer hunting where if you're only going on public land, it's one going to be pretty dangerous in the state of Nebraska and two, probably not going to be real successful. Now, if you're bow hunting, that's a different story. I know guys that are able to go out and do that um, and have right. success in public land, but rifle hunting, which is the only thing I do currently, pretty different story. So with waterfowl, what kind of infected me when uh, I first went and did it is there's so much access here in Nebraska. And the other thing with, with waterfowl living in the city, you know, I live in a, a town of 55,000 people. There's not deer running across the street. I mean, it happens actually, but not very often. But you're always seeing ducks and geese in, you know, water retention cells and just any anything that's holding water. There's pretty much ducks and geese there year round. So I'm always seeing these things and I'm always hearing them. And so knowing that waterfowling is something that I can do on public land and I'm surrounded by the wildlife anyway, it never really leaves my brain now that I've started wanting to do it. Yeah, it's funny how, you know, the last time I was in town, I, I was I was amazed by all the waterfowl just hanging out, you know, next to to freaking Denny's and uh, um, Carlos Wendy's. O'Kelly's. Yeah, Wendy's. <laughs> yeah, <there's> little <laughs> ditch by Wendy's, and it's always full of geese or ducks. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So, why the heck are we talking about calling shots today? Uh, so, like I said earlier, you know what? You you laughed at it, but I said I have eaten duck and geese. I've only ever shot a goose. I've been totally unsuccessful in the I think four times that I've been duck hunting. Um, and so, <laughs> what what I love, or sorry, why I wanted to talk about this is because I just I watch duck hunting and goose hunting videos all the time. And to me, as someone that's spent time in the blind, not a ton, but some, and definitely wanted to be doing more. But uh, not having that moment of, there they are, I know what it is, I know I'm going to take a shot at it. Um, I've never had that experience, but when I watch these videos, it is so second nature to guys like you that have a lot of experience in the blind and have had this time to, uh, they've got the experience of knowing when it's time to put the call down, when it's time to bring the gun up, say take them, and then take the shot. It's just effortless. It's second nature to you guys. And it's not to me. Yeah, and now if anybody's doubting Scotty's commitment to the game, Scotty went. He, he's bought a boat. He's bought <laughs> decoys. He's bought. Uh, he's like he's into this um, over the course of the last four years, and uh, I think that's a really something. Yeah, no one teaches you that, right? No one teaches you when to call the shot. You just kind of, if you're out there learning by yourself, uh, it's something that can take a long time, which. That's, I learned by myself. No one was calling my shots for the first, you know, three seasons that I was hunting. I was the guy. <laughs> I was the guy in charge out there. Um, and I learned a lot of things. And I think that uh, you and me, we've kind of been talking about it. And it was just such an interesting topic that I never would have thought to talk to somebody about. 
So yeah, I mean, right away when you asked, <laughs> or you asked, you know, what what would I maybe want to talk about? And I said this, and I knew this. Like I I wanted to talk about this. I responded to your text like pretty quickly, thinking this was something that interested me. And me being a a total newbie to this, <laughs> I was like, when you said, "Why do you want to talk about that?" To me, it was kind of like, "Oh my gosh, there's." so many different factors that go into this decision and it's just like i was saying earlier it's just become second nature to you even though you said that you know you started out for your first three seasons you were the guy and you had to figure it out um and i mean even probably the first time that you decided i'm gonna pop up and shoot something it was probably a natural thing to you but like i said i haven't had that experience yet so actually actually the the first the first bird i ever pulled up on uh I bet you that thing was a sky mile high and uh, I don't even know if it heard my shot. And I, I was like, Oh yeah, I, that's right. This is a shotgun. Uh, okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to get back down in the blind now and just sit here and wait for somebody else to, to shoot. And then I'll, I'll get my confidence back up again. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and I think, Starting out, number one, the most like baseline thing, the thing that you can, uh, everything that we're going to talk about following this one thing is what you need to, you know, be remembering and all these other things affect that. And I think that's the effective range of your, of your shotgun and your loads, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. So what do you, what do you shoot? I have a Remington 870 pump. Hell yeah. That's Hell yeah. A, that's a blue, that's a blue collar gun right there. Yeah. So, 325. Um, I bought it at the Shields, I think when I was in college. Oh, nice. Nice. So yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when it comes down to effective range, there's really, um, I guess three things that kind of, uh, as far as your, your weapon goes that kind of determine that. And I think that's, uh, well, first I think it's your, your gauge. Um, because, you know, the size of your shotgun, um, I think determines kind of your max effective range because, you know, bigger shells and, and whatnot. So, uh, then it's your, probably your shot, uh, what you're using, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of shells do you use, Scott? Um, I, I use the Winchester, I think super X, you know, the cheaper Winchester brand. If I'm doing, yeah. if I'm going for steel hunt, I'll get six shot. If I'm going for big ducks, I'll get four shot. And then if it's a goose, I'll okay. get two. I think I think if you I think when it comes to big ducks, um actually I would say that both of those shot selections are on what you'd call like the mm, the smaller size. I think you there's a lot of there's two camps, and I think that somebody uh hunting big ducks is gonna prefer twos, threes, um, maybe move to fours, and there's there's a lot of camp that is with, you know. It sits in the the four shot, and then I think a lot of people have a really hard time in teal season picking up six shot. Really, I I anybody I've ever hunted with, um, and I've and I've shot six at uh, teal, and it's um yeah, as long as you have the the right um the setup for it, and you're really waiting for him to come in, um yeah, it's gonna it's going to be a really, really effective shot, but I, I, I don't know. I don't see a lot of guys that I hunt with at least 
shooting sixes at Teal. That's good to know. Because, I mean, I'll, all those numbers, like I said, I don't know basically anything yet. That's just what the internet told me to do, you know. So <laughs> the internet knowledge is good, but I think it's also probably more beneficial to me to have, you know, whatever. There was a, I'll, I'll definitely try four shot this year for Teal season. I, I think that might be, too, a function of, like, accuracy. Um, some people are, you know, pretty, they put a lot of, like, steel downrange. Uh, or bismuth now. <laughs> um, <laughs> they put a lot of that downrange and they're very comfortable with, uh, they either want to smoke the, smoke the bird or they want to completely miss them. That's kind of the camp I fall in. Um, but there was a situation, um, where I thought six shot made perfect sense. And I was like in the little, I was in like a little finger of this pond because that was pretty much the only place, uh, that the wind was right. And I thought to myself, like, okay, I have like 10, 15 yard shots where these birds are um, actually presenting themselves. And I was really wishing that I would have had six shot. And then I start after that, I started carrying um, some, some six shot in the, in the blind bag, but you know, maybe five or six just for, you know, certain one-off situations. But I always kept it in my mind. I said, Hey, if that situation ever presents itself again, I know uh, if it's like kind of a, they're not giving me a lot of presentation and they're coming in fast uh, and close. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what you want to go for. But uh, I'm sure there's, there's some people in in the same camp that you are, but I generally shoot twos and fours that add everything all season long. So one extra benefit would be, I don't have to have, three different sizes of shot shells on hand anymore either. <laughs> There's that. There's that. Um, so I think, uh, you know, when you talk about gauge and shot, those are your two primary weapon considerations. Obviously another part of that is, uh, your choke. Um, some people go with, uh, modified and it depends on, um, uh, you know, what we're actually calling it. If it's a, if it's a choke for, uh, modified for lead, or it doesn't say uh, modified steel um, on it, then, you know, obviously it with steel, it's one shot tighter. So if you're shooting steel out of a, a mod choke, that's only, it's a lead mod choke, it's going to act more like a full where you can get some chokes that are actually, you know, specifically for steel and they, they're actually labeled correctly. Um, but do you know what kind of choke are you using? Modified. Modified. I, I would yeah, guess I, it's the the lead modified because I mean it's just yes. the, the same one that came with the gun. I I got when I bought it. I it had modified, improved, and full. Uh, I think modified was already in it. And I've always just left modified in, whether it's been for turkey, um, or dove, or you know whatever I'm going to shoot. Yeah, I would. Uh, I yeah. Then it's really with steel. It's really acting a lot more like a, a full choke. So. Really, that's good to know. I need to probably try different on that then that would be well, i mean it depends it depends on your you know uh we'll, we'll get into your kind of your your hunting considerations um but uh but yeah um i i don't switch out my chokes a lot i do have like a brand new carlson's choke that i've been patterning um with some of the my last year ammo but i might be switching up ammo this year um 
but I've been patterning it out of this uh, Carlson's like extended range. And it's, it's going to be different for me because I've been shooting the, the same gun choke tube kind of speed. Um, ever since I was like, I got that gun when I was 12. I don't think it took me forever to get the, the freaking, the, the mod choke that I had out of it. So, um, it really did. I was, I was a little embarrassing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, it's, I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for me. The first, uh, shot, I'm going to take it out and we're going to hit some, bust some clays up, or I'm going to hopefully bust some clays up with, uh, that, but it, it patterns well. So if you're looking for kind of some aftermarket chokes, I'd check out Carlson's. They have a pretty good selection. So, and actually I, if I talked to, uh, the owner of that, uh, company on, uh, on the podcast, uh, a couple, couple episodes back but and that kind of leads into my last thing when it comes to your weapon considerations which is like your accuracy um and so just i guess practicing and and uh honestly uh patterning your shotgun i don't know have you ever patterned your shotgun i have not yeah i mean that might be like i'd say that's like step one kind of and you're a you're a shop teacher so you can set up some sort of bench and system to figure it out and uh, really take yourself out of the equation if you wanted to, but a lot of guys just set it down and, uh, you know, pick an aim point and go after it. But so now patterning, uh, since I've never done it, just real quick because that's not the the topic we're on, but just since we're you know kind of introed into no, it, yeah. what's uh, what what exactly are you are you doing it not necessarily to change anything, just to have a visual of what? Actually yeah, when I pattern, is? yeah, when I pattern my shotgun. What I do is, is, you know, I set it up and I try to take myself as much out of the equation as I can. So like put it, you know, if that's prone on a sandbag or, or on a bench or something like that with a target at about, you know, 20 or 30 yards, you can, you can pick which one. And I, I put a big black dot uh, in the middle and I put my bead right in the middle of that black dot. And I really concentrate on just trying to have the it be all gun less me and uh, do that a couple times with some pizza boxes or, or just you can get the, you use the regular, you know, big papers that you have at the the range and you kind of get a feel for where your shots hitting uh, for that choke slash um, shot combo. And if you see that you're always shooting um, a little high, um, then you know that, okay, when I, I need to aim just a, a a tad, you know, below. I need to be able to see the duck when I'm shooting. If you're shooting low, you, you know, put the bead on over the top of it and then let it go. For the longest time, though, I've always been like a really instinctual shooter and I haven't done that, but it is uh, pretty interesting to, to see where you're. Um, and the other thing, too, that it really does is you can really get a feel for um, how a certain ammunition, uh, patterns at out the end of your barrel with your choke so you can really know okay hey I, this thing's really good at 30 yards but at 40 yards it's i'm not getting a lot of uh, i'm not getting a good ratio i'm only getting like four or five or or 15 pellets uh you know or bbs in the uh inside the circle yeah that, Does that makes sense yeah that'd be helpful to know i mean yeah yeah, so there's really, I guess there's two functions for it. You can see where your gun. Triplet, so. Yeah, 
I think after a while, though, you 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 miss enough and you'll figure it out. <laughs> At least that's what happened to me. Um, man, you said um, I I just started uh, since I was going to be on a podcast with you. I decided I could probably listen to some podcasts. So I and I mean I I've, I've shot a lot. Um, I've you know since I started hunting, I've you know and anybody that's a hunter becomes kind of a gun nut just naturally because you sort of have to be when you're hunting. So, I mean, I know quite a bit about guns, and although apparently not as much as I thought. Um, do you think patterning is sort of a newer thing that people are doing, or has that been kind of everybody's always been doing it? Well, if you want to put me on the spot, uh, I remember my grandpa talking about patterning when I was a little kid. Uh, now, I think maybe back in the day, uh, they didn't they didn't do a whole bunch of that. Um, just because, of course, you're going to make me a liar and we're going to get tons of comments on how wrong I am. So that's why you're, that's why you're the biggest jerk I know. Um, but, uh, I, I would venture to guess they didn't do a whole heck of a lot of that back then because they were, they were shooting and they were, you know, trying to make it count and, and kill it. But, um, I think people back then too relied a little bit more, um, on their weapons and kind of knew them a little bit better than maybe we do. But now we know all these ballistic factors and, uh, you know, all the stuff for predicted accurate fire. And, and, you know, we get a little, I think we get a little caught up in the weeds, um, in some of this stuff, but. Yeah. That's, I kind of wondered that just because like, you know, uh, in other sports, basketball, baseball, football, everything is so analytical now and patterning. I mean, Knowing now what it is makes so much sense that I wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, something that people have, have done. Uh, but I like like I said, with starting to listen to more podcasts, it just seems like I've heard so much about it in such a tight amount of time. It just made me wonder if it became like a big thing recently. But no, well, absolutely. Makes I'll, sense say, I'll say this. I'll, the reason you've probably been hearing about it a lot in social media and um, online so there's this thing uh, that's happening um, in the waterfowl world right now with boss shot shells and um, with uh, the new ammo that just came out Migra uh, that people are just absolutely consumed uh, with ammo. Um, and, you know, anytime somebody comes onto the market and brings something that adds a lot of value or perceived value um, or whatever it is, and says they're going to revolutionize the market. And you have a lot of people saying, yeah, this stuff, it's a game changer. You're going to get a lot of buzz about it. And then people are going to start, you know, getting excited about that. And they're going to start getting on the wagon and they're going to start really believing in the product and using the product and, uh, you know, seeing the difference. And, um, and then they're going to start wondering about that. It's, it's just like with what, you know, I think there's a lot of paths people go down from waterfowl. So waterfowl being the main road. And I think people take a lot of side roads, you know, dog training, uh, photography, and then like guns being, a, you know, being super into all the, the finest details of guns. And I think that's a really cool part about the sport that it gives you something to think about, look forward to. And, you know, I'm not, I've never been a like big sports guy. Um, and so it's, 
like kind of one of those things where people just really get into certain aspects of it and it allows for that. This work does because there's, you know, something that you take for granted for a lot, you know, is has tons of science and, and a, a whole industry behind it. That kind of answer your question. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I think that kind of, we beat the hell out of the effective range and the baseline. Um, and we should probably start moving through some of these other things. Um, if you want to. Say again. If you want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would be, uh, you know, we didn't talk about four tens. We didn't talk about four tens. Uh, I probably right, I haven't shot a four. Probably. I haven't shot a four ten since I was like probably 10. Um, but, uh, any rate. Uh, yeah. And I think, uh, like, Getting back on track and talking about, you know, we've talked about the factors, effective range. We said, hey, your weapon, obviously, that builds your effective range. Um, I think the second, uh, another factor that kind of brings into it is actually what you're shooting at. Um, you know, what what have you had fly in front of your face? Hell of a lot of doves. Yeah. Okay. So, doves, right? Um, <laughs> they, you know how they, they react. You know, oh, yeah. they're quick, they're speedy. Um, and that's very similar to uh, people think teal are the fastest duck when actually they're really the slowest duck. It's a lot like flight physics where, where big ducks are actually faster. They can cover a lot more distance, a lot more ground or air um, than teal can. But it's the perceived speed of teal because they can dip, dodge, duck and dive and dodge um classic uh, thank you thank you um (laughs) and so we think that they're the faster duck but uh that's the thing about teal is they'll come in low they'll come in hot have you had teal buzz you yet i'm sorry what was that i was opening a beer oh that's important uh have you had any teal buzz you yet yes yeah so you know that how they kind of they they fly right on in and they rip over your head and that can be a very difficult shot because a lot of waterfowl hunters they get excited about it uh the season prior and they have somebody out there with them and then they get all their gear and then they're ready for teal season. Uh which is true. They're very amped for it. They're prepared for it like mentally, but they're not uh they're not equipped uh I guess with some of the the right you know, tools or like experience to really go out and have a good successful teal season. And, uh, even me every single year, I guarantee you the first teal that bombs right past me, I'll shoot at it and I'll miss. I swear I will. You can put, you can put five on it. Um, just because you kind of, kind of got to get back into the, to the game, especially if you're not doing a lot of dove hunting, uh, beforehand or anything like that. Um, so yeah, the the first teal that the buzzes past you is gonna it's gonna make you feel uh, like a chump. I feel like, if, especially if you're a new hunter. Um, my first experience with a teal was that was that on that first duck hunt that I went on, and I kind of talked about the disorganization of it and the getting into the um, our blind our makeshift blind late. We had a green wing land in the spread while the spread was being set out. Yeah. And the thing that I found interesting about it was it came in, you know, it whizzed right by us, 
came in, sat down on the dock. It sat for 10, 15 seconds, and then it got up, and it was gone. <laughs> the guy that I was there with that, you know, I'd invite us along, kind of was in charge of this particular trip. Said, Why didn't you guys shoot it? <laughs> and like I said, the duck was in the spread as he was still setting up the spread, so apparently he wanted us to take a shot at him. It was... Oh, was it was yeah. it after shooting light? It was. That's what I mean. We oh, were yeah, setting up I... so late. Got off so late. <laughs> he maybe he was just setting up for the mallards. I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that leads into like another question that you had uh, later down the line. But um, uh, yeah, so you know the difference between teal and, and big ducks. Uh, it's. I definitely can appreciate. Uh, when big duck season rolls around, I've been shooting at teal for a couple weeks and uh, I get a little bit of uh, more cupping action straight in my face instead of them just cutting across wind. And uh, I think one consideration to remember is, is you might set up uh, your spread uh, correctly with the wind, um, you know, with the, the wind at your back uh, so that the birds are landing in, in your face. But those teal, they'll cut across it and they'll bank super hard in to, to try to like turn it in there on a dime. And, uh, that can be kind of a tricky shot calling situation in itself. And really you're, you're shooting at birds going left and right instead of maybe in front of you or, you know, hell, if it's a slow wind day, I, I feel like if it's not a wind above eight miles an hour, it doesn't really matter that much for teal or, or small ducks. Um, they'll land whichever way they'll, they'll come around and they'll bank in however they want. So yeah, that's kind of one consideration to, you know, let it, let those teal, let them, let them land. They'll, they will decoy, they'll land, uh, and then hit them, hit them as they're hitting the water or, you know, hit the last ones as they're, uh, the first ones touch down, hit the last ones and then hit the ones that are, uh, flushing from your first shot on your second and third shot. So. Pretty good shooting. Well, I mean, you probably get two out of there. Three shells, three teal. That'd be, that'd be a heck of a start. I've shot, I've shot two teal with one shell before. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So obviously, it's different calling your shots for teal versus big ducks versus uh, Canada geese. Uh, it's all different, and I, I think that. Uh, really when it comes down to it, uh, teal, you're going to have to be a little quicker on the draw, uh, or you can just wait them out. Uh, if they look like they're going to put feet down, let them, let them put feet down and then hit the ones in the back and let the ones flush, uh, big ducks. I like to, I like to take the shots on the big ducks, right? As they're just right over the water, <laughs> like they're about to, to touch down and, uh, then you hit them and then for geese. Well, some you never know with the geese. Uh, they can look like they're gonna. They'll they'll present. They'll let you know when they're gonna land. They'll really start. The RPMs will go up on those wings, and uh, the feet will start stretching out because they're a bit bigger, and they got to put the landing gear down, and they really got to make some effort. And that's that's really where you make your money by not hitting that bird that's really touching down. Is you know if it's a group of four or five, hit the hit the one that's just coming in first, put him down, and then. As that other uh, goose starts taking off, go ahead and then you start picking them off. But yeah, what other uh, what other questions you got? Um, let's see here. In uh, different different blind situations, however you're concealed, I mean, 
you get so many different options for concealment. And I would think just body positioning and getting the gun up is going to be different than each of those. So making the decision to, to take them from different positions. Yeah. This kind of leads me into another thing as well. Um, I hunt out of, or in the, in the last, uh, last couple of seasons, I hunted out of layouts a lot and, uh, I'm very quick at getting out of my layout because I kind of have had a lot of practice and I take a lot of newer guys out, um, and my dad, um, and they're not nearly as quick. So <laughs> if you're with a group of guys, um, and you know, you're pretty quick or, you know, you kind of know the experience level. You want to say, you know, you want to give the shot uh, before you pop up if you're quicker than the rest. Um, and usually if someone's quicker than you on getting out of the lay the layout, they're probably the ones calling the shot. I've done it a lot of times where I'm calling the shot as I'm popping out and I got a, a good little jump on the other guys. And that kind of creates, you know, me shooting them, even having my first two shots off before they even get their first shot off. And nobody wants that. Uh, you don't want to be that guy. Um, so, uh, coming out of a frames, especially, um, if you're the guy calling the shot, you need to, you know, vocalize that as you're, as you're ready, you're say, okay, this is it. Say, take them. And then everybody can kind of pop out at the same time. Um, instead of you having the, the drop on them. And that goes with most everything, honestly. And with layouts, you want to call that shot just a tiny, tiny bit early because, um, you know, it takes that extra throwing your, your doors open. Um, other consideration to that is, is that time that you do throw your doors open, that's just one extra second, uh, that those birds have to, you know, put a little bit of distance between you and them. So. Um, as, as far as layouts, that's kind of what I would advise. A-frames, I think, are a little easier um, because everybody's sitting and it's really easy to pop up and, and shoot and get on your get on your target pretty quick. Um, and uh, you're going to be hunting a lot from a boat this year or are you going to be using the boat to get where you're going? Uh, it's just going to depend. Probably situational. I mean, there's yeah. one lake that I go to that's cattails all around and I'll definitely be able to sneak into spots in there and use it. And then another lake that I'll probably go to quite a bit. It's all kind of beachy. So, I mean, that'll be parking the boat and then walking back over to a spot. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, you know, uh, shooting out of boats. Uh, yeah, it really just depends if, you know, what kind of blinds you, you built your own scissor blind, right? It's a uh, scissor esque. I would say it's, I guess from what I saw on the internet, more technically a, dugout style blind kind of that's what i've sort of modeled it after and then it's got a a swing arm on the top that i've got to pull back oh so you do have some overhead cover yeah awesome yeah for anybody that's not tracking scotty what do you what do you do for a living i'm a shop teacher (laughs) have you uh utilized any of the shop equipment to build your blind not for the blind i really didn't need to no i mean it's all no pipe that i would just cut and drilled through and then uh you know bolted through that to put that all together and then my wife's gonna do all the sewing to make uh the base layer of cover for it damn that's a pretty good situation you got there scotty (laughs) your wife's sewing your blind for you yeah she's a useful lady yeah my wife would you know her she you know what she would say about that 
Uh, yeah, she would not want to be a party to that. No. <laughs> uh man. Uh, but then kind of like one of my last considerations, I would say that kind of you need to consider when you're calling your shot or when you're going to pop up and shoot is uh, weather. So this plays a little bit into more how the birds are presenting themselves uh, with the wind. Um, if you have a really strong uh, wind, really strong wind that's uh, at your back. Um, those birds are going to come in um, really slow, but they're going to be able to get out really fast. So uh, with that, I would say, you know, waiting, wait just a little bit longer. Um, hit those back birds um, with a really strong wind, hit the back birds, and you, you know that you're going to have to switch off to those front birds pretty quick because – you know, if you got a 20 mile an hour wind at your back, that bird can, it can get out of there in a hurry. And so I think just being a little bit more patient with it, let them get a little closer so that you can, you know, have them in your effective uh, kill zone uh, for a longer amount of time is something that you uh, definitely uh, want to have working for you. But yeah. Well, what, what else you got? Um, I got, I want to go back one when you were talking about uh, layout blinds and, uh, and you know, you being the shooter going with, with uh, newer guys calling the shot when you already, you know, you're going to have the much better uh, time to get out and take that first shot. If it's a real great day, birds are coming in, not stopping. Do you think it would be more beneficial to like, if, if you're in that situation, you know, I guess for lack of a better way to describe it, just kind of step up and be that guy that knocks them all down. You get your six and then you can just kind of lay back and call the shots for the other guys after that. Or do you think it's still better to even right from the start, give other guys the shot? I have, I have way more fun um, when everybody is having a good time throughout. Um, So I don't like if I'm taking new guys out, I might not shoot the first time or I'll, I'll back clean up. Um, right. because I want them to, t- my favorite thing is, uh, having a, a good group of birds come in, we pop up, <laughs> I take them and I pop up out of there and I have my phone out and, uh, just watch them whiff <laughs> and have them talk about, I can't believe that. I, there was, there was so many birds in there. I, I, like, I, I don't even know what, if I was aiming at, at birds, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's always a really fun, like experience for me and be like, yeah, see, that because you can't learn that lesson you 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 can't learn that lesson by someone telling you like pick out one specific bird okay thanks man like when i got five ducks in my face you can never simulate that or talk somebody through that you just can't they got to experience it for themselves and it's always really fun to kind of get that on video and you know um show them later and have them that's honestly a conversation uh, that they can, they'll always talk about, you know, like most people are like, Oh yeah, the first birds came in my face. Uh, and so I like, I like shooting with, I like to just hunt as long as I can. I don't like burning them up and then uh, having my limit before everybody else. And uh, you know, I like to just kind of take it nice and steady, especially if all, if you got birds coming in and you don't, you don't feel like you have to get greedy with it. Um, you know, it's a good flight day and, things are going to happen all morning. Why, why not, you know, kind of spread the, uh, the morning out. It's in, it's, I don't know for me, I, I would be happier to have 
uh, four birds for everybody, then have six birds for myself. Um, just kind of how I feel. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, a lot of people that aren't, uh, you know, a total jerk would, would feel that way. I know you think that of me, but I would rather, yeah. you know, <laughs> spread the wealth around a little sure, bit. Sure, sure. Sure, um, Next thing I, I want to know. So this kind of goes back to a thought that I had when I was first um, getting into duck hunting and which I'm, I'm still in that phase. I don't think that I have any sort of um, knowledge at all. But at this point, just from, you know, the three years of, of thinking about duck hunting, watching the videos on duck hunting, paying attention to the ducks that are around me when I have a chance to, I now feel pretty good about identifying a duck at, I don't know, 10, 15 yards. In most cases, obviously with, with some ducks, um, hens especially, and then, you know, darker darker colored ducks um uh, my thought was when i'm gonna when i start duck hunting what i'm gonna do is if a duck comes in i'm just gonna let it land use that time to kind of identify it and then and then see if it's something that i would pull the trigger on just because you know with the different rules of uh nebraska right now i think is back to one pin tail um five gray or five mallards and just with those rules you know making sure i don't go over on something that that i shouldn't so, other than just that scenario, are there other times where you would just let birds land in the spread just for any reason? To, to, to talk to your, your first point, uh, and I'll, I'll answer your, your second point. To talk to your first point, um, I coach that, like, look at your most restrictive limit and just shoot that bird. Like, just shoot one bird. If it's one pintail, I think it's two pintails this year, though, Scotty. Um, Is it back up? I it's think been so. Half, I think. Um, so... If you know that you can only shoot one pintail and you can't identify birds on the wing, you only get to shoot one duck out of that group. And then once you have it in your hand, you kind of saw what it looked like and you're like, oh, okay. Okay. And now I know what a pintail in flight looks like now that I have a pintail in my hand. And then you're like, oh, crap. I I don't know how to identify any other birds, right? Uh, Right. So if you're not 100% confident. You say, I have my one pintail. I can't shoot any more pintails. If you're not confident that you can't identify between a pintail and whatever else is landing, you're done. You're just, you're done for the day. You know, pack it up, maybe watch some birds come in uh, and like, oh, hey, there, there, that's a teal. I know what teal look like. And you can shoot teal. You know what I mean? But if you got big ducks coming in and you can't identify the difference between a pintail and whatever it is, you know, uh, you're done if you have that bag limit already. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, to your second point, uh, which was talking that. about. Say again. Sorry, I think I think the nice thing about that is, you know, a mallard drake. I would say I would think for most people that you know spend some time looking at ducks, that's something that is so recognizable that at least you know when you can shoot five of those that that kind of helps with that situation. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Orange, so, white, brown, green. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty easy. So. Uh, but talking to your second point about letting birds land, um, I, I am sure if there is like some, I'm sure there's probably some rule about like, Hey, can't hunt over live birds, you know, and that we know that that's true. You can't have live decoys. Um, that's a federal rule. Um, but I mean, you didn't, like you just let birds land and swim around. I mean, I've let bird, I let, I've let coots swim through my decoys and seen 
birds come in on those. Uh, but is that hunting over a live decoy? I don't, I don't know. Um, wasn't my intent. I wasn't violating the intent of the law. I might've been violating the letter of the law. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Um, that's a, uh, that's pretty gray area. Um, but letting birds land. Yeah. I'll let, uh, you know, if one surprises me, I'll, I'll let it land. And if it's going to hang out for a while, I'll let it, I'll keep it there. Keep a, keep a bird on the pond and bring some more birds in. And, um, if I know that if he's going to, if he takes off and it's something I want to shoot, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pop him as he takes off. Um, or if it's, you know, maybe I'm not targeting that species or something that day or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I'll let them fly, but uh, I'll keep birds on the pond if I know that I've got another good group of birds coming in right afterwards. And, um, yeah, um, eh, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, as they say, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? Um, and so a bird in the decoy is, is good until it's no longer a bird in the decoy. So. I have had, that was, you know, my most successful decoying has been getting coots into my spread. And I mean, it happened on, on one hunt where I was at this lake where it's, you know, surrounded by weeds and cattails and and stuff. So it was hard to tell it. Like I could hear something just kind of, just a little flashing. And I kind of peered through and I was oh, there's ducks. And then I was a little closer and I'm like, oh, they're coots. <laughs> but I mean, they stayed and hung out for, I, I would say, 20 minutes in the decoys, which I thought was weird. You know, you wouldn't figure out that your friends are plastic in 20 minutes. Well, nobody accused coots of being the the smartest birds or, or the most chased birds, too. I think coots get a little brazen because some people don't shoot them uh, at all because they don't like the taste of them. But apparently you can eat coot. Apparently it's pretty good if you cook it right. Uh, I might test that theory out. I might test it out this 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 year. I've seen some seen some videos, heard some talk, heard read an article or two. Might try it out. Those um, might be the same people eating carp. Oh yeah, that's true. You you've never had carp that you liked? I've never had carp, and I don't plan to. Oh well, I think Coach Witt made carp for me once, like smoked carp or something. That is unfortunate that he thought that little of you. <laughs> See, this is what I was talking about. I hope for a lovely dinner of carp. Your this is your first and your last. We will episode. also have a nice dandelion salad. Dressing. <laughs> Shut up! All right. Uh, what else you got, man? Um. Let's see here. Birds and spread. We talked about that. Oh, uh, when you have calling the shot, when you have like a single coming in, are you at all thinking about I'm going to get this one or is it a single's coming in? You want to look down the line. Let's say it's coming in, you know, from the right side of, of your group. Do you want to, you think you want that guy on the right end of the, the line to be taking the shot? Okay. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, the way I kind of set it up, if I'm with new guys, um, I'm usually in the middle and I've got one or two guys on either side. Um, and you know, I tell them, Hey, if it's coming in from the right, uh, and it's, you know, if it passes your face and it's not a foot or two above the water, or it looks like it's going to, to land when I call the shot, you know, it's, if it crosses me, it's, it's theirs. If it crosses your face, you know, um, or, <laughs> you know, normally if it's really new guys, everybody gets, Everybody gets a shot on it, especially if we're really tight. But if we're kind of spread out, uh, yeah, I, we shed up, you know, you got to set up your shooting lanes. 
um, so that everybody kind of knows uh, where they're at. But on a single, <laughs> I mean, you know how it goes. Uh, single comes in and, you know, you say, take them. And it's clearly in, in you know, the guy on your left, uh, uh, his shooting lane. And y- there's going to be two, there's probably two shooters on that bird. Um, you know, one's batting cleanup or, or, or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say on a single, uh, you know, kind of look down the line and if somebody hasn't been, uh, you know, if that's the way you guys want to cut it up, say, Hey, uh, <laughs> you ain't got a bird yet, Scotty. Uh, you want to, let's, you got this single, you know, um, that's kind of how I do it. Yeah. Put the pressure on that one guy. And then obviously somebody, everybody else is probably ready to bat clean up for you. I think you only get one shot at it before the other boys get to go after it. You know what I mean? No, you got to give them one. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. All right. Next question. Next question. Let's go with. Uh, ooh. I want to wait on that one, I guess. A little bit longer. Uh, any adverse kind of weather or light conditions where you're going to wait longer than or I don't want to say wait longer than what legal shooting light is because obviously if it's not light enough for you to take a shot you're not going to be taking shots I mean yeah good thing to do anything other than wind in the weather that's going to affect like maybe maybe it's just as simple as like you're going to let them come into 10 yards instead of 20 yards before you're calling that shot so I haven't done this intentionally um, but if you've ever hunted in a fog uh you can hear them and maybe you see them if you can see them outside of the fog, but it's just a silhouette and uh, you can see the silhouette coming in and you might see a silhouette in the fog at 30 yards and know, yeah, I can shoot that duck, but really like he can't see, he's, he doesn't have, a, he doesn't have a good beat on you. Um, and and uh, honestly, you don't have a great beat on him either. Um, and so let him close the distance. And uh, uh, I think uh, hunting in a fog is, it sucks if if you're if you're where they want to be. It's not too shabby, um, and if you're if you're decent at, uh, at at calling at least, it's not too shabby. And I I kind of I have a lot of fun hunting in the fog, especially if I'm not running traffic. If yeah, I wouldn't in the fog. Probably not running traffic. Um, another thing too is like a good snow. Uh, one time, me and uh, my buddy Dave uh, and Esau and old Billy, um, we were out on uh, this big lake in New Mexico, and it was snowing, Scott. I mean, I'm telling you, it was like coming down, and uh, kind of similar to the fog thing, uh, where. They can see the decoys pretty well. They can see the spinners pretty well. And I can, we can definitely tell their mallards coming in. Um, but, uh, that snow kind of gave us just that extra, like five yards. I feel like that we were just, they were landing at the edge of the boat. Like we'd shoot them and they'd be like, you could reach out, uh, from the boat and pick them up. Um, it was a pretty slick deal. Um, uh, rain, I feel like. Rain, I always kind of like hunting in a, in a little light rain, um, as long as it's not uncomfortable, obviously. Um, but yeah, uh, rain kind of does the, the similar things. Now, obviously, it makes them, makes them harder to, uh, to get their attention. But if you're where they kind of know, know they want to be, 
uh, and where they're heading, it's uh, it can be definitely advantageous to you because you know they're coming in, and if you don't, they 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 don't have as good a beat on you, and and just kind of tightens everything up, makes it a little bit of a tighter like mega knife fight almost. So uh, the next one I got for you here is uh, any any situations. I see this a lot in the videos that I've watched where you know it's a good day birds are coming in and you go out to grab a bird you you've left the blind you know there's a couple guys in the blind you've left to go retrieve a bird you don't want to get shot you know they're going to be taking a shot at a bird incoming bird what kind of hide what's a kind of a a good way to get hidden in a situation like that or get out of the way of the gunfire at least that same crew that I just talked about um ruthless <laughs> i you know if you were the guy going out to to get birds, you just knew, you knew that you were going to get shot over. Uh, <laughs> because I mean, shit, I was like 300 yards out once and, uh, I saw a group of birds come in and I went, huh? I saw the birds start ascending. And then I heard the pops of the shots counted about 10 seconds, turned around and sure enough, you know, the rain started happening and BB started falling on me. But yeah, you, I call it the old marsh squat. Uh, and I think this is actually where the term, you know, if if something's about to hit you in the head, somebody's going to yell, duck, right? You need to duck. You need to duck down. I think what that came from is uh, back in the day, you know, you got a group of hunters out and some ducks are coming in and a, a old homeboy's out there in the middle trying to, to retrieve a duck or do something. He's out in the spread and someone goes, duck, and then he goes down, you know, he squats down. I call it the old marsh squat and it, I don't, I'm not. I don't know why. Um, and after t- after a while, I think you'll see experienced duck hunters that their buddies will be like, get down, get down. And they just keep walking back towards the blind. They're like, shut up, man. Because I don't know how many times I, I, I well, I'm, I'm sitting out there in the spread. Like, what are you going to What's going to happen? You know what I mean? On the same token, too, I've had <laughs> I've had two gadwalls um, just about uh, linebacker me. Um, that uh, I was out there picking up ducks and uh, just sure enough, like two gadwall just out of the heavens, just bombed right in. And of course, everybody's yelling at me after the fact, like, dude, if you would have just hurried up, like, that's the other thing too. If you're out to get birds, you're out to get birds. Go get the birds. No matter what anybody says, come straight back to the blind. Don't hide. You're just going to spend more time out there pushing more birds away. Like, don't, Unless you're on the edge of a bank and you can get behind a bush or something like that or hide in the trees, just if you're out in the water, just get back in. That's my piece of advice. That's good advice. I mean, I I, was, yeah, I think when you're in that situation, it's it's kind of a weird situation because it's like on the one hand, I'm the guy going to get the duck. But at, at the other time, you're thinking about the other guys. You're like, I don't want to you know mess up any shots for them. But you're already messing up their shots. Like those birds are going to come in, hit 15, 20, 20 yards, and going to, oh, there's an idiot out there picking up a duck. You know? Do you, uh, do you have, have you ever run into a situation where you have a hard time deciding now is the time I've got to go get that duck? Or oh, I need yeah. to that sit for a little bit while these ducks. When the, when the action's like hot and heavy. And, you know, you got four or five birds out in the water and you're saying, okay, hey, 
you shot the one on the left over there. That what is it? What was that? A gadwall? Okay, that one. What was that? Widgeon? Okay, oh, what was that? Oh, dude, I don't know. Oh, okay. You got five birds down, and you know it's it's time to probably collect some birds. But you still have birds circling up top. It's kind of you know that parable. Like, okay, do I want to leave X amount? How many birds do I want to leave down there? Um, and what if dude on the left? What if he shot two pintails already? You don't have that number because he's not as good at, about IDing ducks, and you're not going to ID everybody's duck for him. Um, and so there's kind of a point I think when it's when it's a bird, a man on the water, it's time to go get those. Plus, um, you never know how those birds are going to react to belly up birds. Uh, they might not give them any attention. They might flare off of them. You know, that don't look natural. You know, no one wants to land, you know, you don't want to run into a room with a dead body in it. Like, I don't think ducks do either. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's more about two. Okay, you've got five ducks on the water and more action's coming in. What's the water doing? Is it, are those birds just sitting there? Is the wind pushing them away? Is the wind pushing them towards you? The wind's pushing them towards you. Heck, you know, the, it's doing the, the retrieving for you. Maybe, maybe wait a little bit. If the wind's pushing them out, go grab them. If the wind is going to push them to the other bank, uh, that's fine. You know what I mean? I've had that similar situation a lot with a small pond that we hunted a lot and the wind would retrieve them for us because it would push them to the other bank and we'd keep track and we could use the binoculars and say, okay, yeah, that for sure. That's a, that's a, a widgeon. That's a ring neck. That's, that's a mallard gadwall, uh, you know, and kind of doing it in that way and kind of keep track. But if it's going towards any vegetation or if it's a, if it's a crippled, uh, just go, go get it, uh, go get them. Um, you know, I think any more than a bird, a man, uh, on the water, so you're probably getting a little greedy. Right. And then cripple, obviously that was one I kind of knew you got a cripple out there. Oh. You got to go get that duck. Yep. Go get that duck. Want him out there nope. Crippled. Nope. Yeah. I think, a having a crippled duck that's lost because you were trying to shoot another duck is like the ultimate, like. That's not very sportsmanlike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Last question I've got for you on this topic before we get to the the real good stuff here, the serious stuff we're going to talk about here at the end. You have a hard time giving up on a duck that you've missed. When is it? Obviously, after three shots. But you know, maybe you're real <laughs> quick with the reload. You're going to get a fourth and a fifth shot in. Mm. Ever happen? Yeah. So I've I've shot at a duck six times. I won't lie. <laughs> Single duck, you know, uh, same duck. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it came in and came in over my shoulder, uh, and it was on it was on the Rio Grande, and uh, so it came in over my shoulder, peeled back around, and I hit it because I thought it was coming in. Well, I I winged it right, and then it started taking off. So I shot it again. Probably uh, it was not. A, probably not the, the most uh, ethical shot, but I already knew that I had winged it. So it was kind of all or nothing at that point. So probably a 40 yard shot, hit it again. Um, and then desperation shot, you know, popped it uh, one more time, put it, you know, put the bead underneath of it. So it'd fly into the shot hopefully. And uh, I saw it kind of sail. I was like, oh, dang, that bird's 150 yards away. So I went, stalked it. Um, and took a 90 degree 
parallel uh, into the river, and uh, sure enough, it flushed up again. Boom, boom. Uh, and then finally, the third shot had to have been 45, 50 yards, and it went down. Finally, lucky shot. I don't know what the deal was. I don't know if I was just amped up or it was just kind of, I was after the, the last, you know, the last four or five shots, that's all desperation shots. I'd already winged it. And so I really wanted to get it. And so it was everything I could do to like put that bird down, you know? And this was on the Rio, you said. So this is, I assume this is going down the riverbank and you're not going you know, 30 yards into Mexico to try and get this duck, right? That's true. Yeah, it was more, it it came over my shoulder, uh, presented itself, you know, a shot, and then boom, boom, as it's flying down the river away from me, um, it goes down, it's sailing. Um, and then so I get out and I run, you know, 100, 150 yards down or whatever it was, and then cut 90 degrees back in towards the bank, bam, bam, bam. As it's flushing and it landed on the, uh, it landed on the levee floor as it was flushing towards America. So, yeah, if it would have gone the other way, different story, obviously, because it would have wound up in Mexico. What a patriot! Yeah, <laughs> what it wanted to, uh, yeah, it wanted to die in America. Apparently, well, for you, yeah, down in Canada, yeah. Uh, what else you got, man? That's pretty much it for questions on that. You want to get into the uh, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act? Yeah, so if you're done listening to me and Scotty talk about neophyte duck hunting tactics, uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about uh, one thing, uh, a little conservation. And uh, I think, Scotty, are you taking the lead or what do you think? Yeah, I don't. This might be over your head. Oh wow, that's that this, sucks uh, to hear. Some, yeah, this is some pretty important uh, law, heavy on the law side of things. Actually, it's really yeah. Not. I I think you could handle it, but uh, I'll go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll, let's try it. I don't want you to come in and take all my. You are a teacher, so that's true. Not anything to do with this stuff, but that's okay. Yeah. So, uh, recovering America's Wildlife Act. It's something that's been written, I, I think, for a while. But it's currently on the, the House floor. It's in the House of Representatives. Uh, Ryan Callahan has talked about it a little bit on his podcast. And if you're on Twitter and you follow him, he's tweeted quite a bit of stuff about it. Um, it's, a, it's a huge conservation bill. I would guess it's probably one of the largest conservation bills that we've seen in America since, like, Teddy Roosevelt was, you know, creating forests and things like that. I mean, it, it's massive. Mm-hmm. So currently conservation dollars going to state programs is like around, I want to say it's like around $65 million for the year. Um, that's yeah. all, all through grants. What this bill is, is every state has every uh, state program, like your, your state's game and parks program has created a wildlife action plan where they identify different species of plants and animals that are, that are in danger, not to not an endangered species, but they're, they're having issues just with the habitat that they have. So this bill that was introduced proposes an annual amount of dollars earmarked for it at uh, 1.4, between 1.3 and $1.4 billion. So that would be every year, you know, just a huge, you know, taking at times what they've been getting 
multiple, multiple times. So, um, and all of that money would be earmarked for things like, I should stop saying earmarked. They actually removed the word earmarked from, from, from bills, but, uh, recovery programs for those plants and animals, and then also opening access to new areas for people like us. It has bipartisan support, right? But it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in politics right now that is not a good look for conservation um, due to, you know, big business usually wins. Uh, And when you look at where does this money come from? Where do the grants come from? People don't know how, how these, these things are funded. And a lot of, a lot of people don't realize hunters are the backbone of conservation funding. Uh, But that there's a lot of NGO organizations out there that are out there securing funds left and right uh, through these grants. Um, But uh, how do how do we actually action this thing? Because I think anybody listening that's a hunter or a conservationist is probably thinking that sounds like a pretty good deal. I would hope. Yeah, I would as well. well. And then also preserving the things that we enjoy being out and seeing and experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's, this is, it's not set in stone, the recovering America's wildlife act. Um, But if this sounds good to you and you are, uh, pro wilderness slash, uh, pro your children being able to enjoy more or the same amount of, uh, wild places and wild beings that, uh, you do, uh, voice your support of the bill, uh, to your congressional district representative. And the more people that you can talk to at barbecues, dinner parties that you can convince of this, um, you know, tell them, Hey, next time you're, uh, you know, Vote with uh, a little bit of uh, conservation at the forefront of your mind because a lot of, a lot of Americans are they're, they're ignorant to this, and it's only the hunters. And there's a lot of hunters that are ignorant to it. Um, they don't uh, they don't they don't understand that this is such a big that it's on the chopping block. They just take it all for granted. So. Right, absolutely. And it's you know just I'll uh, in the, the Facebook group I'll post some links to. Two different things. One is uh, kind of a fact sheet that breaks down the Recovering America Wildlife Act, what it is, where the money comes from, and where it goes. And then another thing I'll post is just a quick link to how you find the representative for your specific district. That way, you want to send a call or an email um, and let them know that it's something you support. Like Ben said, it's something that has bipartisan support, so it's not anything that you need to feel like if you're, you know, whatever party you affiliate yourself with, you're. You're not stepping outside the bounds of that. It has bipartisan support, but it is something that, you know, anything something like this comes up. It's a it's a large amount of dollars. It's a big program. It's something that your representatives want to know that it's something that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scotty, uh, should that about wrap things up? I believe it does. All right, guys. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, go ahead and share it with a friend. Uh, if you thought Scotty was a big a jerk, as uh, I, I said that he was going to be in the beginning, uh, make sure you let us know that in the uh, the Facebook uh, group. Uh, if you enjoyed hearing Scotty on here, uh, let 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 him know in the Facebook group. He asks a lot of questions, and he's uh, always pretty helpful and handy when it comes to uh, building stuff. And it's kind of uh, I'm going to pat his own. I'm going to pat his back here for a second, but. Uh, a lot of the questions that he does ask me, uh, I 
I wouldn't say I'm your digital mentor, but you have asked me quite a few questions. Um, it, it makes me reevaluate how I think about some things sometimes. And uh, definitely like have to ask him questions about how he built something or uh, what he's doing for uh, setting up and hope to get you on a couple more birds this year, Scott. That would be great. That's the plan. All right, man. I had a lot of fun and uh, hopefully anybody that's, uh, you know, getting into to hunting or, or uh, even if you're an experienced hunter, hope you got something out of this and uh, yeah, it was really fun for me. So. Thanks very much for having me on. Good time. All right. All right, Scotty. We'll catch you later. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.